Hey everyone, welcome back to the Business Growth Advantage. Today we're diving into the very important and big question of how do you protect your profits as your business is scaling. With me today is one of the best people that I can think of to have this conversation with us, Chelsea Williams. Chelsea, thank you for being here. I always love coming to your show, Joey. Thanks for having me. Of course. Chelsea is a repeat guest of the show, so you might recognize her name and face. She has an amazing financial company where she works mostly with law firm owners doing things like being a, what is it? CFO. Yes. We might get into what that means. And she's also working with a growing number of female entrepreneurs as well, helping them with that financial side. And Chelsea, this is such an important thing to be thinking about because I saw you post on social recently. It is very common and natural and easy as your business grows for all of those profits to get eaten up by expenses, unless you have some type of a force pushing up against it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's Parkinson's law. And it says that expenses will meet or exceed increases in revenue within six months, unless there is a specific force put against it. And you're proactively and intentionally protecting your profits. That's that force. And I think it sometimes sounds so counterintuitive because we as business owners think, oh, I'm just this one milestone away in terms of revenue goals for my business for being able to be fine cash flow wise. And I feel strapped now, but once I make X, things will be fine. And then inevitably you get there and money just goes out the door in ways to make that profit shrink and shrink. And that fine point keeps moving down the road. Yes. Yes. And this can be such a frustrating problem to either see in your business or not really see because you don't have the clarity and financial measurements in your business. Because even though your business is growing and growing, you don't really have the increased profits to make it worth it. Right? Yes. Yeah, you can make $10 million and go out of business because of not keeping an eye on that. So let's go into the different things that can cause, you know, the Parkins law. Is that right? Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law to happen. You mentioned a few of these before we went live here, but I'll let you take the mic. What are the common things that business owners tend to start spending on once the revenue grows and the business scales? Yeah. Let's take a step back a moment and ask ourselves, like, why did we get into business for ourselves in the first place? Mm. Because most of us are coming from a job and we wanted to get out of that job. And so we had the entrepreneurial seizure, as the e-myth would call it. And instead of getting into this situation where we worked less and made more, we just created a different environment where we could exchange dollars for hours, right? There was this exchange of I clock in, I make money, I clock out, my money stops. And the whole point of building, creating, and designing a business that really fuels your desired lifestyle is to get out of that kind of slot machine approach where we're just like chucking things and throwing noodles at the wall and trying to find something that sticks and finding that like really vending machine process. And I watch all the shows like Restaurant Impossible, Bar Impossible, Hotel Impossible. (laughs) And they all say, and The Profit, he's a really good one. 
But they'll talk about how people buy systems. Successful businesses are built on successful systems. And that's what we're looking for in our business. And I think that as people scale, it's easy to forget about the system side of thing. If you didn't already start laying that foundation and you really start to feel it when you get to that first milestone of this is how much I have to make for my life to change. And then you get there and you're like, crap, what did I miss? It's probably a system. And so Mm. when it comes to money, there are two specific areas that I spend a lot of time on with people and it's marketing and team. And marketing is a perfect example of that vending machine approach and method and that slot machine approach and method. It's any marketing person will tell you this and every business owner has made the mistake, myself included, of like, I may as well have just taken some of my money and thrown it down the toilet and flushed it (laughs) with marketing. Yeah. Oh, I think every business owner can relate to that. And I love that visual of a slot machine versus a vending machine. When it comes to marketing, do you tend to have a percentage in mind as you're building out these budgets and line items for your business owner clients? If we have to start somewhere, 10% is like what you hear everywhere. But I'm the first to say, I don't believe in cookie cutter approaches. And the Mm. whole point is, if you find that vending machine, put as much in it as your team can handle. So now the question is not how much marketing can we spend on? It's where's the next bottleneck, which is probably in your team. Yep. And also just to clarify, because marketing can mean so many things based on what your own business has done and accomplished and what you see your clients doing effectively well, is there a certain type of marketing investment that tends to be more helpful and worth the money, whether that's social media, that's organic, paid advertising, cold outreach or pitching, networking. I think it's important to understand the difference in marketing expenses because some of them are an investment and some of them are like an overhead fixed cost, like your website subscription. That's not a direct marketing funnel, but it plays into it. SEO, that's an investment with a monetary return. And some people are just trying to build brand awareness, be the Kleenex of tissue. So they're looking to just be seen. They're not expecting to get new business from it. Yes. So understanding what types of marketing you can deploy. But as far as marketing with a monetary ROI, I think that question is more of, are you in tune with who your ideal client avatar is, where they're at, what their pain points are, and what do they respond to? And while that's not something that you can measure on an income statement, it is something that you can create a visual KPI for, an internal Mm. metric, a key performance indicator, right? Your lead source. That is your lead source KPI. And the other part of this is learning how to analyze that data. So first step is collecting it. Second step is reporting on it. And third step is knowing what the heck to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And you're right. I think part of the When you do decide to make a monthly or annual investment around marketing, a lot of that is like a snowball investment, right? That, that builds over time, especially if you do find the type of marketing agency or consultants to work with who you like and trust, the goal is that the longer that you stick together and they learn your business and see your performance and know what to do with that data they're collecting, the better and better they can get in terms of dialing in what effective marketing means for you. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause I think with marketing, a lot of people have unreal expectations 
unrealistic expectations as to the turnaround time. Yeah. Because marketing takes time. I think a lot of marketers would tell you deploy a strategy and come back to it in three months because that's that gives you time to collect the data to even be able to analyze it. And that's only your starting point. So I think patience is another key component of really finding that vending machine. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And one other just nitty gritty question around the marketing piece. And I'm asking, hopefully for the sake of the audience, because I know that you're such a ninja at all this, Chelsea, when you are preparing these types of line items or, or budgets for your clients and do the, the strong listening and research that you do to figure out what a good line item number would be or percentage for marketing, does that end up being a, okay, based out of all of the revenue that's coming in, here is the budget that we're putting aside for marketing expenses in particular as like a top of line item? Or do you first say, okay, let's first get a sense of what your overall like expense budget is. And then marketing is a sub part of what your expenses are. That's a really good question. I was just listening to Gary V this morning. It is 2022. If you aren't <laughs> spending money on marketing, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> When I do it, it absolutely comes right off the top because just profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. Everything you do in your business is a habit and getting into the habit of, and most people's dispute to this is, oh, I don't make enough money to pay for marketing. I don't care how much it is, put it aside and save it for marketing then. And even when I'm going through and creating budgets and forecasts and scalability blueprints for people, I always have a, an advertising or marketing padding account or line item in the budget because here are your vending machines. Awesome. But there is always something new and exciting in the world of marketing. So have a play fund of things that you're just tossing around until something sticks and you say, oh, that might be my next vending machine. That's so, so great. Super priority. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And then before we leave the topic of marketing, under this umbrella topic of how to be protecting your profits, what tips or strategies do you have so that people aren't over investing or putting more money into marketing, maybe without realizing it? I think, again, with marketing, it's easy to have that shiny object syndrome and do too much. I, I was just mm. talking with another entrepreneur a couple days ago, and she has been in business for three years now, and there may be opinions around this, but she has only mastered two social media platforms and she will not let herself move forward until she turns each into a fine-tuned machine. That's so good. And so to that, I would say, don't try to spread yourself too thin. And if you're able, or if you know somebody who's in the marketing space, Jordan Ostroff with Legal Ease has a really good presentation on who is your client avatar? What platform are they on? Do your research and create vending machine after vending machine, but don't move on too quickly. Like really get the most and take it slow. Carrie Vaynerchuk this morning was talking about how he didn't even start his marketing company until he was like 35 years old. Don't feel that pressure of, oh, I'm a certain age. I should be somewhere by now. Let's take our time and do it right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so good. If the other reason why I just, I think it's really important to highlight the expertise that Chelsea provides is once you do arrive at that number or that line item budget or that percentage, 
then it's not like you're looking at your bank account and you see all of this money and you're like, okay, we have extra money to spend. Let's put it into marketing. Instead, you can make the more educated, clarified decision of, okay, here is how much we have with respect to our marketing budget. How can we make the most out of those dollars that we have. Yes. And that is why Parkinson's law is true. You see the yes. money and you're like, sweet, I got it. Let me go chuck it out the window without a plan, without intention and without having gathered my data to make an informed decision. Yeah. Oh man. So true. Okay. So marketing is a big one. And I think the next one that you mentioned was team. Yes. Yeah. And, and like again, said, this, is, this is something that can, if we're not careful, this can eat into our profits. Absolutely. And it's a natural progression because like I said, you can find a vending machine that has exponential ROI, but unless you have that next piece of the funnel, so you have like your sales, you get new business, and then you have your team that handles the workflow. And then you have like your client nurturing after service, after delivery component. If you don't have the team in that midsection to handle that workflow, it's, you can't turn up the faucet. And with team expenses, it's really important to have a hiring strategy and always, because I think the art of being an entrepreneur is that repeatable process of rinse and repeat. We can't just, we can't just put something in place and never revisit it again. It's why we have KPIs. It's why some KPIs die out and new ones appear because we're always evolving and changing and growing. And your team is the exact same. And especially with technology, if you are not intentionally checking in with your positions every so often to say, what can we do different? How can we automate stuff? Like we just found this really cool rebump app because part of what we do is reminding people to do the things that they don't want to do when it comes to their books and their accounting, all the boring stuff that nobody likes to do, but we just right. have to do it. And we were spending so much time sending weekly follow-up emails, just hitting the top of their inbox. Like, hey, we still need this thing. We found a software that does that automatically for us and the mm. hours per month that it saved. So part of being incredibly intentional with your team is always looking for efficiencies. As you grow, your org chart will grow, your organizational chart. So one job may become two, right? So mm -hmm. being on top of that and traction is a really good book for that. But being on top of that so that you can grow and evolve. And even like the best place to be as an entrepreneur is having foresight and intuition into your own business, knowing what's going to happen before you need to take action. And with your team, that is just so crucial. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of business owners and also read certain books around finances. And it seems like when you're, when you get to a point where you realize that you're spending more than the business should be spending, usually the biggest significance cut, the biggest significant cuts that you can make are on the team building side or on the team side. At the same time, those can be very hard conversations. Yeah. What tips do you have for people when they're, as they're getting numbers together, <coughs> realizing that it, it might be best for their business to certain, to let certain people go or to look elsewhere for a more profitable team building opportunity where they can be delegating people to systems versus having a bunch of people being responsible for things that maybe you just didn't want to do. Yeah. And I think that last part is super important. Like having people just be responsible for things that they're doing just because you didn't want them to do. Right. Yeah. Like as an example, I, I'm used to working with law firms and with law firms, you have billable people and you have non-billable people. 
a lot of times we run into situations where someone who is billable and has X amount of dollar potential in revenue per year is not as billable as they should be because the of misdelegating work, right? Not only are we not being efficient, but we are asking our people who could be generating revenue to do administrative non-billable things. Taking a look at your delegations very carefully. And, you know, it's 2022, post-COVID has opened up a whole new chapter in the world of business in terms of hiring remote staff. So like my company went through what you have built with the opportunities of outsourcing overseas. And that has been like a game changer for us. It has allowed me to create hiring and onboarding systems, which means that, yes, I'm investing my time and attention up front to create tasks and checklists and videos and hyperlinks. But guess what? I can step back and touch point my KPIs and tweak where necessary, but I built this thing that's going to train my team for me. Not only that, but having the hiring strategy, they're lower cost standards over there, but having that hiring strategy, because I think what people do a lot of the times, I know what people do a lot of time is that they will overhire because there is a balance between having enough room in your staff to grow and hire comfortably and keeping everybody so tight that you have to hire out of reaction. So like what worked for us with the people that we got through your company is I created a hiring strategy where we hire people two at a time and they start part-time with the intention to go full-time. That way, if one decides that this is not a good fit or we decide it's not a good fit, the other can take it over. Also, once their workload gets to a certain level, they can now train their the people that come in under them have that time because we know how much time they have. And it's just this fluid system that is not reliant on one person, but people are cross-trained and capable of training those coming in after them. That's so good. Okay. And I just want to ask, because I know that when we first started talking about how we were creating this global vetted VA service and that you were looking for overseas VAs, One of the main things that we do in that program is we do the heavy lifting in terms of connecting you to to vetted VAs. Do you have a sense of how many hours you got back by not having to put out the job posting and qualify candidates and figure out who you wanted to interview? Six to eight, right around six to eight hours of combing LinkedIn resumes and scheduling and no call, no shows and at least... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. And again, I just want to say amen to everything that you've said because, I mean, our business sees it too. We're able to protect our profits by having a, a layer of a significant layer of work go to people overseas. And we're also giving them very meaningful and life changing jobs. Yeah. And that's the other piece of it because the other piece of the numbers and the data is being human. And being a leader to your team and giving people an opportunity to fail even. Like when people come on board, one of the first things that we let them know is we expect you to make mistakes. Mistakes are fine around here. In fact, we love using them as an opportunity because if you make a mistake, a lot of times it's because we can put something into our processes that's going to give you more tools to avoid these mistakes, like letting people know you are allowed to make mistakes here as long as you learn from them and help the team learn from them. Yes. And even like my part-time people that are just 
asking for more hours, but we don't, we're, we get the clients, we give the hours. I partner with other business professionals that I know, and sometimes they have project work and I'm like, Hey, this might be something you're interested in. And if you find out you love it way more than you love it here, I support you. I need yeah. you to be happy. Even if that means not being with my company. Man, I love that so much. The way that my team and I sometimes talk about it is we don't want to be a business where everybody is expected to know how to ride a motorcycle. And if you fall off, the business breaks down. Like we are very much, we want everyone to feel supported and like they have those training wheels on when they get started with us. And when you look into opportunities that are easier on the budget to build out your team, then the company can afford to keep those training wheels on for longer. Yes. And it releases so much of the pressure. Yeah on them. And it allows you to do like little extra things. Like I'm putting a couple of my team members in the Philippines through a U.S. tax course with their downtime. I it is such that. a minimal cost to me and it expands their education and they wanted to do it and they felt comfortable enough asking me. Um, yeah. And so I think a big piece of, and where a lot of the blind spots or, or what we as entrepreneurs need to work on is taking accountability. Yes. Like we, if somebody fails, accountability is different than taking responsibility implies blame. Accountability implies you could have done something different that would have led to a more ideal outcome. And as entrepreneurs, I think it is our responsibility to take accountability and always look at when something doesn't work out the way we thought or wanted it to. What didn't we do or did we do that we could do different or implement to get that different outcome. I think a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this too, especially when I first started, I was like, here's all the work. I was Emith, like, here you go, have fun. I hope it yep. works. And then we get frustrated when they don't perform or they aren't good at the job. And it's okay, leader, what tools did you give your people? Because a true leader is a servant. How did you not serve them? Because you probably yes. missed the boat somewhere. Oh, that's so well said. For the sake of time, let's jump into the next topic, though, because I feel like I could spend all day talking about team building, and I feel like you yeah. can too. But I know that another very common thing that you talk about with your clients and you work with them through is tweaking their pricing so that their profit is protected. Share more about that. Yeah. So when I get ready to do a deep dive with anybody, when we do a money blueprint or a forecast or we're working in my membership, I... One of the first questions that I ask them is, I want you to just take a moment and just meditate on the thought of if your business was to triple next month, I want you to think about what that looks like. And after you think about all of the departments, right? Revenue, billing, team, marketing, overhead, physical space, if you're a physical business, what are your three biggest fears? And mm -hmm. Am I charging enough is one of the biggest question marks that I think makes some people afraid to grow because they're not even sure if they're going to be profitable. And so with any money exercise that we do, that you do with your business, you have to consider time. A lot of people forget about time, which is why they undervalue themselves because they mm. don't get a clear picture of how much time it takes to do a good job, by the way. With the person who just paid you. Yeah. 
And so what we do is we go through and we figure out your revenue formulas. And basically what that means is it looks different for service versus product-based. So if you're a service-based industry and you have four different ways that people can pay you to work with them, we need to figure out four revenue formulas, right? Same with products. If you have a product, I worked with a baker last week and she had six different cake types with her menu a la carte flat fee option. And so we had six different revenue formulas. It's simple math, which is why it works across really any business. We just have to know how to organize it and break it down. But when you go through and you figure out what are my different revenue categories, what is the, what's the hard costs first? Those are easy, right? Like for my baker, it was all of her cake supplies, the sugar, the fancy stuff, the coloring. So those are like your hard costs. But then when we get to the time section, this is where people are like, oh my God, I'm undercharging. And no wonder it really challenges their belief that they aren't worth it. Because when you see in black and white, a service provider that could be at somewhere else making $250 an hour. And after all is said and done, they're making like $75 an hour. They're like, oh, I have no shame in raising my fees, raising my fees now. (laughs) When they see it. So it actually becomes a really good confidence booster when we start to really pick apart the time and all the time, even if it's not your time, how much time yes. is your administrative professional spending on the phone, spending in emails to this one person who you are getting paid by to serve them? Do you also include in that the time and cost that went into acquiring the client? In the revenue? No. So that would be a marketing okay. ROI metric. Okay. And so that's a little bit separate from the hard exchange of services costs. Okay. Okay. Great. And I love that you're breaking this down because I'm seeing, I'm hearing a lot of talk of just like across the board, black and white, raise your prices. And I do think that there is a problem with a lot of business owners undercharging for their services. At the same time, I think. And I'm so glad that we have Chelsea here to clarify the math that you can do to figure out how to increase it. Because I do think that there are people who are just not putting thought and math into why they're raising certain prices. And then that can be creating issues as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, so the, your marketing ROI, the cost Mm. of acquisition, that's what that is. Okay. It should definitely be considered in your revenue formula, depending on what you do. Because again, it's variable if you're a service provider, if you're a product, if you sell products. So it should definitely be considered, but it's not directly impacting like that marginal analysis. Okay, great. And then is a part of the value of the pricing also the value or the result to the client? That's a really good question. So sometimes, especially when we get into this, because what we're doing with this revenue formula is basically looking at dollars for hours, right? So then sometimes we need to take it a step further and say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Tax Strategy Professional, are you really going to charge $2,500 when you're saving them $30,000 a year? So now we get into the value piece because what Mm. you do is incredibly valuable. What I do is incredibly valuable. I've been doing this for 12 years. If even if it doesn't take me as long, 
the yes. value is yes. absolutely there. You shouldn't start charging less because you got faster and better at it. Yeah. It's like the difference between hiring somebody as your marketing person who has never done anything with marketing and paying them for a year before you get the results or paying half that salary to a professional who can get you the results in six months. So good. Yeah. So but good. matters. And uh, is there, okay. I was, I had, I made a little footnote here and I'll ask it here because this is a, this might be a silly question. But again, you're my human for answering these types of questions. This whole episode is about the importance of protecting your profit. Can we talk a little bit about what the value is of having profit? If you're an online business owner, let's say you're the sole owner, you're not really thinking about selling the business in the near future, and you really set up the business so that you're really taking home whatever your salary or maybe owner's draw is, but you're not really looking to making profit distributions. If that's where you're in right now, can you talk about why it's important to be creating profit that is growing in the business and not just meeting owner's pay with expenses and then being fine? Yeah. So I like talking about this because I think a lot of people approach, I know a lot of people approach taxes every year and they're like, just make it go away. Yes. Just make the profit go away. I don't want to pay taxes. And look, I get it. And yes, you should be utilizing legal tax loopholes, implement them correctly in your business because implementation is key in the case of an audit. Find you a tax strategist who can do that. But do you want to buy a house next year? Do you think you want to mm -hmm. line a credit as like your own padding so you don't have to go beg a bank when COVID hits and you need it? Do you want padding in your bank account so that when something like COVID happens, you can do what the elites did and say, I'm good for three to six months. So I'm going to get to that to-do list in the back room. And when this thing starts to pass over, we're coming in hot and I don't have to lay anybody off. Yeah. Profits are so much more than you giving the government your money. Profits are a way to show that you can do it. Profits are a way to leverage credit and funding and loans and capital. Profit is not a bad thing. And again, there's that balance because there are a lot of tax loopholes that like big corp pays to make profits go or uses to make profits go away that small businesses should be utilizing. Sure. But it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Very well said. Thank you. So we've talked about marketing, we've talked about team building, we've talked about pricing, we've now talked about the importance of, of carving out that profit as much as you can in the business. Let's circle back to what you said earlier about that question that you're now asking a lot of people that you're working with of the business grew five times, what problems come up? You said that a common one is, oh, I feel like I'm not charging enough. What else are some things that people are saying in response to that question? So <clears throat> team is a big one, not knowing yeah. who and when to hire. And Tony Robbins has a really good like suggestion for how to figure out who you need and what they could do. And he says, write down, literally get a sticky notepad and write down all the things you do. One thing per sticky note. And then visual, because we're visual beings, right? Whether you believe it or not, your mind works in pictures. Yeah. Take those post-it notes and group them into similar tasks and functions. And then ask yourself, which one is the easiest to delegate? Which one is going to make me the most money to delegate? Mm. For example, in a law firm, if you hire an attorney and you have the leads and conversions, 
you're going to make money off of that hire. And it makes sense before you delegate calendar management, for example, then that can happen. But definitely team strategy and strategy looks different. And again, I am not a cookie cutter person. I have some people who really see their take home and profits as a byproduct. Money is not their priority. Mission and purpose is. And mission and purpose numbers look different than money into my personal household numbers. Oh, I love this. Can you give me an example or two of mission and purpose numbers? Yeah. For example, I'm working with an at-home daycare provider who works with children who have learning disabilities, which I can tell you personally, because I know her because of my son, Mm -hmm. that it is a much needed service, not only to the community, but to our schools. She is out for something much greater than having a fancy house. And so she says, okay, this is how much me and my family need per year to just be happy, which by the way, on average, the most happy people in America have about an 80 to hundred percent annual revenue income. So money is not like the creator of happiness. Yes. Instead of, because there's top down budgeting and there's bottom up budgeting. She creates the bottom and says, this is all I need. I don't care how much I could take. This is what makes me and my family happy right now down the road. Yeah, sure. I would love to take more, but I have something that's more important than vacations and fancy cars and elaborate chairs and homes, which by the way, don't feel any shame if you want those things. hundred percent. It's fine. It's perfectly okay to have more money than you need, but somebody who doesn't prioritize that says, here's all I need. Now let's figure out the rest. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Man, that's so good. Okay. So you, part of what you do then for those types of business owners who are more mission and purpose driven is figuring out what their number is in more of a baseline way. And then you, I wanted to ask that question because it's not, you still are looking for a number in those cases. It's not like you're saying, well, by being in business, you're already having your mission and your purpose. So there aren't really any numbers that apply. And I wanted to speak to that because I love my colleagues who are mission and drip and purpose driven in their business. And sometimes those business owners, when asked what their goals are or what their numbers are, that they're keeping track of, they lose sight of the numbers and the measurements because they don't have as compelling of, of a purpose for those dollars to be monitored, but there is still importance to having KPIs and measurements, even if what lights you up are the things that aren't the dollar signs. Yeah. Money may not create happiness, but it can create a difference, whether it's in your personal home or in the community or in families' lives or your clients' lives. Money makes it a heck of a lot easier to make a difference in this world. And I think a lot of that comes from money mindset, money shame, people feeling like if I make this much money, so then they, you know, I'm a bad person or I'm a selfish person or shame on me. So I'm going to subconsciously spend it all. So I can't keep it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a real so, thing. There, there are so many follow-ups to this topic, Chelsea, but thank you. <laughs> we need to start wrapping up. Thank you so much time for your, thank you so much for your time today. You guys, Chelsea is one of my dearest friends in the space. We both work with a growing number of law firm owners and Chelsea calls herself the money whisperer on LinkedIn. That's how I think of her. Chelsea, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Love to be here. For anybody who wants to learn more about what you're doing, can you talk more about Core Solutions and is it EL? 
I always forget the three numbers. LP3. LP3. (laughs) Let's talk about those two things. Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn, Chelsea Williams, Money Whisperer. And our Core Solutions Group website is yourcoresolution.com. It has handles to all of our other social media outlets. But what I'm really excited that is coming down the line that is not law firm specific, but for the general entrepreneur is my Money Mastery Membership. It really helps to put your dreams, goals, and visions down on paper in money form, but it also gives you the tools that you need to be able to scale with all the other components that we've talked about today, right? Team building, marketing strategy, entity type, saving taxes, operations, and mindset. It is like my gem. It is my baby. It is what the past 12 years of my career has led up to. And I'm so excited to get that out to the public. That is so good. Chelsea, you're the best. Thanks for coming on. And everybody, I will see you next week on the Business Growth Advantage.